Hello, everybody. This is Mitch Connolly here to tell you about the actual play podcast, The GM Showcase. Each game of The GM Showcase features a talented GM, as well as talented players exploring a number of systems and settings. Check out the game, The Rat's Den, a D&D 5e adventure featuring James Intricasso of the Don't Split the Pod Network as the Game Master. This game features the players Morgan Jenkins of the podcast Going In Blind, Matt Parody of the RPG Academy Network, Neil Powell of the Dungeon Master's Block, and yours truly. Find the GM Showcase by searching Block Party Podcast Network on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and now, enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. I am one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Ian. I'm Dungeon Master Andrew. I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joe Moniak. And today we are resuming what once was a two-part episode, realized we bit off a little bit more than we could chew, became a three-part episode... Our creation and inspiration top tens from four of the hosts, the Block Party Podcast Network podcasts, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun getting into our six, five, and four ideas today. But before we do that, Andrew, we've got an iTunes review that needs to be read. Today's review is going to be from Dragon Hellfire. It reads, great DM resource. Thanks, guys. Just made my way back into D&D and DMing after a five-year break, but I have been playing it since 2nd edition. I have only made it to episode 24, but I am really enjoying the podcast. It's full of great ideas and inspiration. Cheers. Thank you so much, Dragon Hellfire. Dragon Hellfire is from Australia! Where he will hear this many months into the future. Yes. Or you'll be one of the great listeners that somehow manages to crush all of our episodes in a very short amount of time. And with that, let's head into the meat of this week's episode. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flat meat back on the menu, boys. All right, we're back into the meat. And like Ian had said, we bit off a little bit more than we can chew, but it is good meat nonetheless. And it is getting better as we go because we are now going to talk about our six, five, and four. So we'll keep the same initiative order for this one. Andrew, what is your number six? My number six is what I call the terrible price. This is a campaign where the players are given an artifact, some maybe a book, some ancient item, and they're just simply tasked by the owner of the artifact to price it and sell it. However... What secrets lie within the artifact are dark and terrible, and there are many competing forces who want to get it. And the players have incentive from the high-level figure who's presented them with this thing to price it to just sell the thing and figure out how to get rid of it, while all these other forces are attempting to seize control of it and probably even battle each other in the process of trying to gain it. So the MacGuffin you get at the very beginning of the game. I like that. <laughs> Flip it around on the players. And the whole point is to get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So that is it really a MacGuffin? It's an unguffin. <laughs> new term. Ooh, new DM yeah, blog term. New word, yeah. At first I thought you were going to have something revolving around the prices, right? But you didn't. I like, <laughs> I like your idea way better because I didn't know how my... Oh, you know what? I would have changed my mind if I had realized <laughs> that. You have to have Bob Barker as the guy that gives you the artifact. <laughs> he's like, he's an ancient leech. <laughs> Uh, you have to go around the entire country, spaying and neutering yeah, all pets. Yeah, Barker has to be a hound folk, <laughs> for sure. All right. Ian, what is your number six? So this is a campaign that I actually ran, and I liked it so much I thought I would share it with you guys. It's called What If The Bad Guy Actually Won? And uh, I set this up to be a fantastic campaign for my players. We were gonna. I told them we were doing epic level campaigns. Uh, so we started with level 20 characters. In 3.5, you know how much work that took. Uh, but what I ended up doing, and I had the right group of players, you have to have the right group of players, is I ended up at, you know, TPKing the entire party at level 20. However, then what I did, and this is what I had planned to do the whole time, is resurrect them in the dystopian future where the bad guy had won. And mm. they started at level 1. And they got to work their way up to fight the bad guy again for a chance at redemption and restoring the original timeline. I love it. I'm getting this Vandal Savage feel here. Ah, cool. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. It. <laughs> Long ago in a distant land. <laughs> yeah, it was It was such a fun campaign after the shock of like having these level 20 characters that they've been working on for so long die the first night. They were pretty mad at me, and then when they found out what I did, they were like, bro, <laughs> we loved it. <laughs> I, I might stay mad at you for that one. <laughs> I would just, I would not make them work that hard, especially on a 3.5 character, but I would just say, like, oh, just, like, I don't know. I don't know how you do that, like, that you start them off at level 20, but I would, I would maybe warn about doing that and making people work on a two-level 20 character. Again. You'd have to have the right group of players, but it was a fantastic time. We had a great time playing that campaign. Well, at least they know where they're going. Yep. <laughs> Mitch, what is your number six? I'm excited for this because my number six, number five, and number four all kind of work together, and that is not like even how we really plan for these episodes to work, so that's great. But they're all going to focus on the player, the PC's glory and the PC's like ego being a little bit of a downfall. So my number six is called Stolen Glory. And basically it's this idea for to add into your campaign that there is a group of adventurers uh, traveling around from town to town and they're claiming to have done the deeds that the PC group is responsible for. So they're stealing their glory. They're Ooh. stealing their thunder, maybe even stealing. If they can get far enough ahead, stealing rewards from the player. And I will just give a little bit of a shout out because the inspiration for this idea was from Dragon Ball Z with Hercule Satan. So there you go. You know, that, that is guaranteed to turn the players into murder machines. <laughs> Because I have I have never seen anything get a player more angry than having their credit taken away mm. from them, and it's gonna it's it's a great way to get them engaged because the moment they start to figure out that someone else is claiming to be them and getting all the fun stuff, they're gonna be so mad. Forget the big bad; it's these other adventures. Yeah. Who's yeah. <laughs> Well, the only other thing I've seen get players that mad is stealing their loot. So in addition to stealing their, their street cred, you're stealing their loot. That that definitely would trans 
transposition them above the uh, above the BBG, in my opinion. Like, the world could literally have one day left to live, <laughs> and I guarantee you the players <laughs> would go after those guys, guys first. The world is <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I even like the idea further if, like, maybe they these guys have planted a scrying device on the group of players. So they just chill in the town that they're at while they go off on a mission. And when they defeat the horde of goblins outside of town, they know, and they get to town first and go, we've defeated the goblins. You are saved. So when the real group gets back, they're like, we've defeated the goblins. And they're like, ah, we, we already know this other group did it. Like, what are you trying to steal their thunder? And, Ooh, man, those PCs would be bad. All I got was lousy experience points. Yeah, I love I love the idea of also having the, like the whole group being good at disguise and alter self and stuff like that to always look like they defeated goblins or fought this or like, yes, like that's great. having like a goblin head to bring back with them for some reason or you and like they hear the PCs are gonna go kill a dragon so then they have like a dragon head that they bring back in. All you need is like one mage with dimension door and they'll always get there first mm. you could have a lot of fun and, and just make this like a troop of unemployed actors and they're all commoners yeah. they have like no class levels it's a group of bards <laughs> <laughs> uh, not only did we defeat the goblins outside of town but we wrote a song about it come listen <laughs> What if what if your PCs get into town and the entire town is singing a song about this other group? It's like, oh man, that that catchy little ditty about the other group beating the goblins. Oh, that would be infuriating if I was a PC. <laughs> yeah, how did you know we defeated the goblins? We haven't even been back to town yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, my number six is entitled "The World of Color," and I, I don't feel like this is original. I feel like I saw it somewhere, but essentially, the players can. Travel into first off. Now that I think about it, it sounds like Blue's Clues, but that's not my intention. But the yes. players can actually travel <laughs> into works of art, and then it's almost like like a like a different demi plane or something like that. And they have to solve things and do things inside these famous paintings. I and mean, if you think of like um, Ev- Edvard's Munch's The Scream or anything from Escher, because yeah. Or uh, Starry Night from Van Gogh, dogs playing poker. I don't know. Whatever you're feeling. <laughs> I mean, if I was going to set it up, I would also want there to be specialized rules inside each painting. You know, like with Escher, Escher and everything kind of existing in this weird state that shouldn't be reality and gravity working a different way, everything like that. Um, and you could do it as a cool way for your players to learn more lore about the world. You know, because obviously my examples are um, paintings in our world but these would be paintings in yours um and you could have them learn things that they otherwise would not have had access to i want to jump into the battle of waterloo or some sort of epic battle like that crossing yeah. the delaware neil did you ever play dark souls the first dark souls i did not there is a part in dark souls where you actually do this and you're reminding me so much of that and i would love to see that played out in a game uh, in, in Dark Souls that you go up and you touch the painting, you get sucked in. And part of the twist is that you can't get out until you defeat the final boss. Um, okay. And I like yeah. I like that idea. I also like the idea of when you're in the painting, your PCs becoming part of the painting yeah. so that like even like say half of the party goes inside that painting. Half of the other party finds this painting and sees the two guys like they're 
Uh, and I like them being like not so blatant. Like maybe there's a tower in the background and they're up in the tower or something like that. So that'd be fantastic. You could you could have a really fun just campaign with this by having the entire thing take place inside of some magical museum where things went haywire. Night and at the Magical Museum. Yeah, Night at the Magical Museum. And the players got to jump through all these different portraits and stuff like that to handle whatever the, the big problem is. That'd be a lot of fun. All right. Andrew, we're back around. What is your number five? My number five is actually one of my favorite just kind of interludes or, or plot hook things. The elements have become too overwhelming for the players and they have to take shelter somewhere. And that shelter where they are leads them to other beings that have taken shelter as well and they're not as kindly. And the elements are whatever, you know, you have like a massive heat storm or, you know, a lightning storm or something magical. So they can't go back and they're stuck in this place where it's clear it's like a boiling point. So over time, it's like more and more like, oh, we're really in trouble here, aren't we? That's, that's one of my favorite plot hooks. Getting reminders of The Hobbit now and going down, down to Goblin Town. Well, that, yeah, and I also like the idea of you know, forcing the players to work with races and monsters and things like that that they normally wouldn't i mean obviously the other option is it's just a powder keg and then there's a fight inside of a cave i like the idea of them having to find uh <laughs> find shelter from the elements and finding that group of adventurers in the cave that were was stealing all of their thunder in the town before <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> and they just don't know it and then the, these ad- these uh, imposters start talking about their great deeds yes. and the players start realizing like, wait a second, wasn't that what we did earlier? Well, then they're singing the songs and in this cavernous cave, the songs just echo off the walls. Yeah. That's how they figure yeah. out one of the guys just there like, as they're going to bed, starts whistling the tune <laughs> and they're yes. just like, wait, where have I heard that before? That's awesome. Ian, what is your number five? Yeah, so this is where I'm getting a little excited because my five through one are are like actual campaign ideas rather than just me sort of spitballing. This one's called The Last Bastion. And no, not Bastion Windsailor, as Good. I'm sure you've heard of. No, this is actually The Last Bastion. There's only one Bastion Windsailor. I know, I know. This is uh, an idea that I had a, a while ago. I've wanted to do this for a while, sort of as, as like the apocalypse of my world at some point don't know that I'm ever going to get there, so I'm dropping this idea for you guys. Um, the world has been rent asunder by you know some sort of means, whether that's a plague or natural disasters or uh, uh, you know the gods did vented their wrath on on the planet. Anyway, that happens. There's a city, a singular city, uh, probably a, a, a metropolis of some kind that has survived. And they are the last bastion of life on this planet. Uh, of sentient life, anyway. And they have to contend with the after effects of all of the the venting of the wrath of the gods or the undead plague or, uh, you know, whatever it is that happened to the world. But you have 200,000 people in a city and it's a mixed bag of races and everything. And they have to figure out how to get along post-apocalypse in this city called, they end up calling it the last bastion. One thing that I, I see coming out of that, and it's just, I mean, first of all, there's so many good role-playing opportunities, and I would almost encourage my players in that campaign to be 
different races so they they could delve into the cultures of each different race and have this goal of having there be conflict between other players player characters but the goal is to have everybody work together and live together so it's like the goal is to become a close-knit party and what i like about that is you're going to have groups of cultures groups of different races in this one city and some of them may hate each other but someone hopefully if not you know a group of people is going to point out okay you don't like them because of this but they have something to offer like you may not like the minotaurs because they have warred with your people for years but they have this to offer us like let's work together for the survival of everyone we need to i would look at this whole scenario as being one massive powder keg that's slowly like the pressure is just going up and up and you could have that kind of tale of two cities type thing where basically you know you have this upper class and this lower class and maybe it's not about race but it's more about position and then just see what happens as these forces and factions start trying to vie for power and the players kind of get caught in the middle of that yeah i mean you'd have you'd have political elite you'd have you know the the riffraff you'd have refugees from other cities i mean you'd have all kinds of different people and people groups and how do you drive them toward the singular goal of the city being more important because it is your last line of defense and and unifying behind that idea of the last bastion as being more important than any singular culture or idea because if we don't have the walls of bastion we have nothing which number five my number five is called imitation is the most dangerous form of flattery and so in this take on pc's ego and glory Uh, The PCs have developed a fan following in their home city. This is great, except that some of their fans have decided that they want to share in the glory and the righteous cause of the heroes, and they start to dress as the heroes themselves and are going around trying to fight evil, and in the end some of them getting killed or severely injured when they go up against big bad guys who are a little bit too strong for a farmer dressed as the heroic paladin in your group. This idea I will give full credit to. I got the idea from the Batman copycats from I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Oh yes. That's what I want to see played out in in a game. I want to see Batman copycats, except of your paladin of your wizard. Oh, of the wizard would be even more terrible because a, a normal farmer dressed up as a wizard doesn't have any spells to do. They like, carry around like a little flick a, a lighter in their like hand that like i can make fire Ooh. that has a lot of potential for just being hilarious because you could just give these imitators this high level of enthusiasm and obliviousness and you know since players will be flattered by the imitation they'll probably have that natural instinct to try and keep these imitators alive and so you can have just a lot of fun with like 
They find out, oh, these guys just went into a dungeon to defeat our big bad. We yeah. really need to stop that. Yeah, you can have it start off as a cool thing. Like, they meet these, they see some of these people on the streets, and they're like, oh, look at that. They're dressing like us. How cute. And then it, you find out that they all died from something, and it's like, oh, that's this is not good anymore. <laughs> I also like the idea of them coming in after the players have entered the dungeon as well. And you're like a week in and you're just like several levels down. And then all of a sudden that farmer in essentially what is the equivalent of a bathrobe shows up behind you. And then the players have to deal with the fact that now they have these people with them that they, again, like you said, Andrew, they have to protect because they feel the need to do so. You can doubly so make it more fun is if these guys show up right in the middle of, like, intense peril for the players. And they're like, have no fear, we're here! And they just proceed to make it ten times worse. <laughs> Waving his hands around, I'll cast the magical spell. They keep a they keep a dub up their sleeve. <laughs> Do you, press the digitation! <laughs> a dead dove. <laughs> oh, man. Gobbluth. There's so much good comedy that could come out of it. But it's like you said, there's, it's like the comedy and the tragedy so quickly can flip mm-hmm. back and forth because, you know, and you could have someone run in and just get cut down. And that could be the first realization of your players is like, you know, and you have the player run in in front of what would have killed them. Well, think about even that scene in V for Vendetta with the girl who wears the mask and how quickly that turns into tragedy. It's, truthfully, comedy and tragedy are essentially the same thing. It's just about how you look at it. You know, it's it's all about the lens that you're putting it on. Comedy is zoomed out. Tragedy is zoomed in. The closer you get to something, the more tragic it is. The further away from it is, the funnier it can be. So it's kind of like you can do both sides quite easily because they're the, actually the same thing. It's just about what you're looking at. All right. that That puts it on me. For number five, Mitch, this one is for you. And it is entitled The Masterful Man-E Faces, which is a He-Man reference, if people don't know. Essentially, the power! Essentially, it is a popular actor that goes around and has this amazing one-man show. They're just the best at it. And, they, you know, and they're going from town to town. And after the performance, they are actually a doppelganger. And they insert themselves... No into the party as one of the PCs to steal the magic items, which is kind of playing back into like that idea Andrew had, which is super funny to me. I really like this one because you're also going to have to pick a player in your party that knows that this is going to happen. And they will have to play as them, as the doppelganger, trying to steal stuff from the party, which I think is really, really fun. I've done that before, and it is fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, to get a player in on that idea. So... I say you can have a ton of fun with this by putting the doppelganger in situations where in order to maintain his cover, he has to be the hero to the group. And so they like start liking him more and he's starting to kind of dig it. And so like halfway through, like he just becomes like a regular member of the party and he's enjoying it. And then at some point they find out, oh, you're you're not this guy at all, but you're great. You have that moment of realization <laughs> with the doppelganger and just zooms in on his face and his eyes are dead and he's just like this is my home now. <laughs> oh, man. If the, play, if the player wanted to do it, I would work it out with them to essentially, so just do it, keep ex- it. essentially <laughs> accept the, I mean, and I don't know if it's in 5e, but the, um, oh my gosh, what do you call it? In 3.5, it was the level adjustment for being a yeah, yeah. doppelganger. Essentially, like, let's say you do it at level five and this player just accepts it and they don't take level six and seven 
and then they just end up being the doppelganger in the party. Oh man, forevermore. But they have to count. They always like trying to keep their cover as hard as they can, and like there are situations <laughs> where that shape shifting is really useful. And so they're like, "Oh yeah, I learned this uh, spell a while back." How many times? Like, and that's the thing. The game becomes how many times as a player. Can you say things as your PC that let slip that you are not who you are and like see how long it takes before people start questioning it? I dig it. I would even have it where the doppelganger doesn't necessarily murder them. You know, they were just captured and then saying that the original PC after that experience just gave up on adventuring and went home or something <laughs> like that. So then like they don't want to murder the doppelganger. They're just really frustrated with them. <laughs> Or maybe the, the character was kind of new to the party and just says like, oh, I guess I'm done adventuring with them. And then later on, like, just sees them crossing. It's like, <laughs> is, is that me? Oh, gosh. <laughs> he just knocks them out. And then, yeah, they, he wakes up. And he's like, wow, I guess they didn't like me. They just left me here in this town. <laughs> Fine, then. <laughs> awesome. All right. We're on to number four. Andrew. Number four is called Summon Got a Summons. So in summoning spells, generally the player, he's not just simply creating something. He's summoning a creature from another plane. Well, in this, it can be a mini campaign or just something to kind of do during downtime to kind of break up some monotony, is that the players suddenly start being summoned by this outsider. And they're like part of this grand campaign, but they only get glimpses of it. And so they keep on just in the middle of the most inopportune time, just blinking out, and suddenly they're like, all right, you must fight this monster for me. And they're like, uh, what? And so they can, you can make this short, you can make it long, you can do like a one-shot thing, or you can make it long where they're like, okay, we need to stop being summoned, so we need to get to this plane and then talk to these guys who keep summoning us to fight. And it can just be a lot of fun there. That's so awesome. And it'd be the whole party. I assume it'd be the whole party. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, but what if it was two and they summoned, like, half the party and then the other half of the party and then they had to fight each other? <laughs> that would be even better. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and the fun thing there, too, is that, um, you know, as the way summoning spells work, if you die in the middle of a summon, you're not dead. You know, you just go back to your plane and then you reform 24 hours later. Can we name this guy that keeps summoning them? Can we name him the Grand Master and just have a Marvel reference there? Can he just no. do that? Yes. <laughs> yes, we can. Yay! <laughs> no, I like. I I wonder if you could almost have your PCs come across like rings or something that they put on, and it grants them some cool power. Like maybe they're rings of energy resistance or something. But there's also another magic in them that these are one of a kind rings that allow whoever created these rings to summon them forth. So. They're just throughout the adventure at different times. They're going to pop out and go to another plane of existence. But I love this idea so much. Yeah, and I don't know if this was your original idea, Andrew, if you're going to have it be the same person that summons them every time. But, I mean, that could be part of it as well as that it's different people summoning them mm. um, at different times based on, you know, so then they have to do things that they don't want to do. They have to do things that they are like, yeah, we're super on board with this. But it's like you said, you could make it anywhere from a one shot to a campaign because essentially the players could then know when we're getting summoned, we are accomplishing good. So when we aren't being summoned, we do want to try and do these other things so that we're more powerful so that when we're summoned again, we can help out even more. 
I don't think any player would ever have that opinion. I think any player being removed from their home plane and forced to fight, even if it was for good, it's like, you must save that orphanage. They'd be like, I want to do my own thing. I want the orphanage in my world, not your world. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way they're not going to be vengeful. All right. Ian, number four. I have entitled my number four, Anarchy. Anyway, uh, Essentially, the idea is that there is a cabal of wizards, because I don't see how I could accomplish this any other way, unless it was like a guild of master assassins or something. But there'd have to be a lot of them. Have been building toward essentially removing all elements of government all across the world. My idea with the mages was that they were, you know, they, they were tracking down like the of each like royal family or lordly family, they were tracking down like the penultimate or, you know, as far as they could get up the tree blood of or DNA of the descendants or whatever so they could use blood magic to essentially in one fell swoop kill all of the royals, all of the lords with one massive spell. You remove all the elements of government, what happens? And and you sort of stick your players in that reality. Probably I would I would do it in Medius Race where, you know, the players have no idea what's going on or anything like that. They're jumping into the middle of a story, there's anarchy in the streets. What do you do? <laughs> I think that would be really fun. Uh, and then, you know, trying to either figure out what happened and kill the wizards or, you know, like setting themselves up as, as lords and rulers themselves. The last idea was was the most interesting. You broke my my brain a little bit that the players would like take on that mantle of good by leading, not just killing and going and fighting the dragon, but essentially taking on that mantle and being like, well, there's no one else to do this. We will help forge forward with this nation and or this country or something like that and essentially accepting that there's no one else that can do it so we have to do it well you can also kind of create this slow dissolvement of government rather than like oh hey you know government's gone let's all go crazy it's kind of like you know towns start realizing that food's not being transported like it used to governors are gone and all of a sudden like they're they're finding themselves incredibly vulnerable and just there's nothing happening. So they're not actively getting into huge fights or whatever. It's just that everything has stopped being maintained and now it's disintegrating and people don't know what to do. And so the players can kind of step in and be like, no, why don't we like band together and try to solve this problem? Yeah, I can see that. And I can also see, you know, like uh, some Royal family gets assassinated and, you know, in this, in this setting and, and their enemy territory gets assassinated, you know, kings get assassinated, and now you've got the two kingdoms at each other's throats because the le- they, each is blaming the other for their leader's demise. And so now you've got a war and rebellion with nobody to command the, the soldiers. All kinds of stuff you can do. Mitch, number four. My number four is entitled, and Neil, I'm just going to start this out and say, you almost... Just completely stole my number four with your your one right before it. And yes, everybody knows I love doppelgangers. So my number four is called Sneaky Sneaky Squires. The PCs are approached by a group of young adventurers who wish to become the squires of the PC. Ultimately, however, the plan of the squires, who are secretly doppelgangers, is to completely replace the PCs by whatever means possible. <laughs> so... It's a bigger question with yours that I now have, because with mine, essentially, you know, those players wouldn't see them anymore. How do you think the doppelgangers would play out essentially replacing 
as a squire because then you ain't, there's not a squire anymore. Like you could just have them be terrible at squiring. Like, you know, you have the armored <laughs> characters like, all right, I need to get my plate on. And they're like, yes. And they're just kind of like milling around. And it's like, all right, I need to get my plate on. And he's like, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just <laughs> things like that. <laughs> well, and the other thing I was thinking was whether or not the, essentially the doppelganger is equipped with a spell or an item or something like that so that essentially they could replace them and then make them look i mean this gets really i guess complicated and meta but they would replace your player and look like them now while making the player look like the squire and then they would like fake like the squire got killed or kill them or something oh i like it <laughs> you can have some fun with the doppelgangers like, not really being friends and, like, being willing to sell each other out in order to secure their own self. So it's like, one doppelganger is like, oh, this guy's a doppelganger, and then the players now trust that guy. And then... Yes, maybe it's maybe it's because while they're, like, as the squires trying to figure out who they want to replace, all four doppelgangers are like, I want to replace the paladin, but I want to replace the paladin. He's cool. I want to be the paladin. <laughs> And so they're trying to think of ways to sell each other out. And, ooh, I like that so much. I would actually play this game as players being the doppelgangers <laughs> trying to screw each other over to replace the yes. paladin. <laughs> like, that would be that would be like a paranoia-style D&D game. So the other option that, that your idea made me think of, Andrew, was having a fifth... Or I don't know why I immediately assumed there's four people in the party because there's four people here. I don't know. But essentially having an additional character that's with him that is an npc that dies in a battle and turns into a doppelganger then immediately your players suspect each other of being a doppelganger and only they only they know whether or not they are and then heard my brain have so much fun with basically an entire game being like find the doppelganger and no one can trust (laughs) that's a great campaign name find the doppelganger So much, so much killing. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, so my number four, which it's funny because I pretty much said it. I entitled it So Much Death. So your party's going along and it'd probably have to start at some higher level. Essentially at the point where they have angered the big bad. And a lot of the times in our games, we make the big bad have power. And usually that presents itself as physical might, magical might something like that i i think it's more rare that we have power mean that they have money or something like that so my idea is that essentially a price is put on the head of the party that is so high that people that are maybe good people are trying to stop the party and essentially the party is going to get attacked or something like that but instead of the first attack being successful that person is murdered And before there's any explanation as to like, what, why did you murder that person that was going to, that person is also murdered. And essentially the PCs now have this onus to find what's happening and stop it so that people stop killing themselves trying to get them, literally killing themselves, trying to get to the party so that they can get the reward. I guess the better idea would be that they need to be captured because if they're if it's killed, then I assume people would work together. So yeah, somehow the party needs to be captured and everyone is murdering each other to be able to do it. Well, to kind of add some more spice to that, you can have it so that the villains basically set it up that only one 
person can bring in the the bodies, and that's why they're all killing each other. And you know, just it has these. This is kind of like slugfest, where anywhere the players go, immediately turns into this massive <laughs> like war just to kill them. Well, yeah, and it could be that, they, and part of it could be that they're like always trying to be on the run as well and be hidden, so that people aren't finding them and then fighting over, you know, fighting over their dead bodies. <laughs> This sounds like a and uh, d game that was inspired heavily by an awful game of Mafia. I hope so. <laughs> All right, that's it for the Dungeon Master's Block on part two of three for creation and inspiration number seven. And if, again, you want to contact us with your top 10, your top 20, your top 40, who knows? Andrew, where can they contact us? If you're wanting to contact Dungeon Master's Block, you can just... Email us at DungeonMasterBlock at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, which I'm sure you did, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes so that we can read your review on one of our episodes. If you want to connect with us via social media, you can find us at two places. The first is at Twitter. You can find us by the handle at DMs underscore block. That's at DMS underscore block. Or you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are fantastic sources of information for both uh, upcoming and future episodes as well as D&D memes. We do a lot of polls and stuff like that. So if you would like to get connected with us in that way, those are both fantastic media that we use to get the word out. We have a Patreon member shout-out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout-out goes to... Jimmy. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much, that Jimmy. Was... Jim E, not Jimmy, but Jim E is a silver dragon. So thank you so much for your support of us on Patreon. We appreciate it. We hope that you are enjoying the bonus podcasts. We hope that you are enjoying the custom monster a week, being able to watch the DM workshops, all of that great stuff. And as always, the Dungeon Master's Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like the GM Showcase, Geek Wars, We're So Bad at Adventuring, and more. But with that, we're going to close up shop here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. Say goodbye, guys. See everybody. Adios. <laughs> Keep on dungeon mastering. Is everybody good with time? This is obviously taking a little longer than we expected, so. Well, I do know that time keeps on slipping. To the future? Into the future. <laughs> Andrew, where can they hit? Where can they con? Ah, words and stuff. Andrew, help me. <laughs> Jimmy. 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 Wait, is it me? <laughs> yeah, it was you. You messed it up. <laughs> I thought Andrew started. Goodbye.